Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Chinese President Xi plans a meeting with Volodymyr Zelensky to discuss a peace proposal. Maybe there is some kind of a deal uh, being made because so many Russians have a lot more problems than they ever intended to have. A new report shows government agencies may have been double billing for projects in Wuhan, China. It possibly, definitely could have been the coronavirus, and he's covering it up. HSBC buys the UK portion of the failed Silicon Valley Bank. This uncertainty and these bank runs nearly guarantee a, a deep recession. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Tuesday, March 14th. I'm Mike Scott. Reports suggest that Chinese President Xi Jinping is planning to visit Moscow to meet with Vladimir Putin as early as next week. The reports also added that President Xi would also call the Ukrainian leader, Volodymyr Zelensky. Michael Bristow of the BBC says it seems like China is trying to position itself as a diplomatic leader in the war in Ukraine. Over the last few days, China has been pushing itself as a peacemaker in the war in Ukraine. Last week, it sent its chief foreign affairs official to Moscow, uh, who met with President uh, Putin. Uh, just on Friday, uh, China came forward with this 12-point peace proposal, a series of principles which it believes should be followed in order to stop the conflict um, in uh, Ukraine. Now we see uh, Alexander Lukashenko, uh, Vladimir Putin's closest ally, going to Beijing. So it's tempting, as I said, to see this as some kind of uh, continuing diplomatic offensive by China to get itself involved in uh, the war in Ukraine and perhaps to stop, um, stop the fighting there. However, Bristol points out that China's credibility as a neutral party and diplomatic leader on the world stage has been severely damaged. I think its credibility is being shot to a large extent because um, over the last year it's failed uh, consistently to condemn Russia's invasion um, of Ukraine. And in many people's eyes, uh, the EU, the United States, uh, NATO, has simply lost its credibility as, as an honest broker, as a neutral party. It leans towards Russia. It supported Russia. Uh, in many respects, even though as of yet it hasn't provided any weapons to Russia. So that really uh, limits its manoeuvrability in presenting itself as a neutral party with the ability to come up with some uh, solid uh, conclusion or some solid way to end this conflict. Both China and Russia reached a no-limit partnership shortly before Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. Retired General Jack Keane joined the Salem Radio Network and says he believes that Vladimir Putin's threats against NATO hold no water because ultimately he doesn't want that fight. 
and would make a peace deal with Ukraine before that would happen. Putin's got the better part of his military, the best part of it in Ukraine, and they they have been stalled ah. in the face of Ukrainian resistance. I mean, to Putin to take on NATO, which outguns and outmans him yeah. and outfinances him four or five to one, and he's struggling with Ukraine, That's he would never want to have that, that fight, in my view. I mean, he loses everything as a result of that. He loses his regime. He loses power as a result of it. He, one thing Putin wants to do is stay in power. Yeah. So I, I, before before that would ever happen, he'd make a deal with the Ukrainians. Keane goes on to explain why Putin's propaganda point regarding Ukraine becoming a member of NATO is false. The fact is that most of the member nations of NATO know that Ukraine is not qualified in terms of the criteria, particularly with the level of corruption that they have. And, and some of them, based on Russia's interest, just to be frank about it, would likely never vote yes. So uh, Zelensky knows this. He's, Putin knows this. Oh. I thought it's always been a bit of a false yeah. flag, yeah. you know, because yeah. it, it's well established that Ukraine is not coming into NATO for the foreseeable future. Certainly not while Putin is in power. Keen says that he hopes that a deal can be made. We just don't know. I mean, in terms of using weapons of mass destruction, I think that's that's fairly remote. But mm-hmm. it certainly it is it is possible. Okay. Uh, uh, but again, that widens the conflict. That's not something I think Putin would really want. I mean, he's already struggling with uh, with what he's got in front of him right right here. I think Putin is con- going to continue to make war against the Ukrainian people who he's trying to defeat. He's struggling trying to defeat the Ukrainian military, but he's going to continue to up the ante against civilian casualties, as horrific as that is. And hopefully, within a, within a week or two, uh, maybe there is some kind of a deal uh, being made, because mm. certainly Russia is having a, a lot more problems than they ever intended to have. They're taking far more casualties, losing a, a lot more equipment, not to speak of the, uh, the reputational issues that are going on about the Russian military and their competence. Meantime, the U.S. in recent weeks has been accusing China of considering sending lethal arms and aid to Russia. There's been yet another outbreak of tensions on the Korean Peninsula. Daybreak Insider's Norman Hull has more on the increase in military operations. South Korea says North Korea has test-launched a ballistic missile toward its eastern waters. The country's Joint Chiefs of Staff said the launch was made Tuesday morning, but did not offer further details, such as how far the missile flew. A day earlier, North Korea said it had test-fired two cruise missiles from a submarine. The launches came after the U.S. and South Korean militaries began their largest combined field exercises in years on Monday. I'm Norman Hall. To the House Republican investigation into the origins of COVID, there's a new report that suggests that the U.S. may have made double payments for research projects through the National Institutes of Health and the U.S. Agency for International Development. Catherine Herridge, the senior investigative correspondent at CBS, lays out details 
of what is known. U.S. government agencies were billed twice for projects in Wuhan, China. The probe kicked off after new information came to light from Congress. Former federal investigator Diane Cutler spent two decades combating white-collar crime and health care fraud. During the pandemic, Cutler turned her attention to U.S. government grants that supported coronavirus-related research in China. Records reviewed by CBS News indicate the U.S. government may have paid twice for projects at the Wuhan labs through the National Institutes of Health and the U.S. Agency for International Development, or USAID. This included possible medical supplies, equipment, travel, and salaries. Harridge goes on to point out that the newest reporting seems to coincide with testimony from former CDC director Robert Redfield. At recent congressional hearings into the origins of COVID-19, the former CDC director said money from multiple U.S. government agencies supported high-risk virus research in Wuhan. I think it did not only from NIH, but from the State Department, USAID, and from DOD. Does following the money get us closer to understanding the origins of COVID-19? Following the money always seems to work in investigations. Republican Senator Roger Marshall hired Cutler and took her records to USAID's internal watchdog, which opened its own probe, details of which have not been previously reported. Sources familiar with the grant records did not dispute CBS News's reporting. In a statement, a spokesperson for the USAID inspector general declined to comment on the existence of a specific open investigation. Sources told CBS News that tens of millions of U.S. taxpayer dollars could be involved and the findings could provide new insight into the Wuhan research. Former special investigator Diane Cutler was tapped by the Republican House Committee to follow the money and what she found was shocking to her. So what I found so far is uh, evidence that points to double billing potential theft of government funds. It is concerning especially since it involves dangerous pathogens and risky research. The Wuhan lab has constantly been in the news again and again as the virus origins continue to be the source of heated debate on Capitol Hill. Recently, the House voted to unanimously declassify intelligence related to the Wuhan Institute and its links to the origin of COVID-19. The Senate had already passed the measure, so now it goes to President Biden's desk. He has not said whether he will sign it, but the numbers imply that a veto would be quickly overridden. Republican Congresswoman Debbie Lesko of Arizona joined the Salem Radio Network and says that she believes there is a cover-up concerning the origins of COVID-19. I think that Anthony Fauci and the NIH director at the time, Francis Collins, were concerned that the American people would find out that U.S. taxpayer dollars were being used to fund EcoHealth Alliance, which in turn funded the Wuhan lab. And they're to this day denying that the grant funding uh, was used for coronavirus research, even though other scientists believe that it is. Lesko lays out what she feels are key pieces of evidence that make her believe that there is a cover-up regarding the origins of COVID. We just recently had a uh, roundtable in our subcommittee, select subcommittee on coronavirus. And Dr. Macri, who's from John Hopkins University, 
said he totally believes that it is a, from the lab, origin from the lab. He testified that two uh, doctors from China were originally arrested and then told that they could not disclose any information about what was happening in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Then two U.S. top virologists initially said that they believe that coronavirus came from the lab but then days later said to the media that, oh, no, it didn't come from the lab. And consequently, they received $9 million in NIH grant funds, which seems a little convenient. Also, I, I just find it unconscionable that the Chinese scientists contacted the National Institute of Health here in the United States and said, take down the sequences of what we were studying, and NIH did it. They deleted the sequences of what was being studied in the Wuhan lab. Lesko explains the two main questions that she needs answered. I asked the NIH director specifically about the funding through EcoHealth to the Wuhan lab. He denied that any of the funding was used on research of coronavirus. And I asked how he knew that. Because on the one hand, he said they did not get the reports as was required under the grant, and they did not get the sequencing because the Chinese virologists asked them to delete it. And he continued to insist that the research that was done with the funding to EcoHealth had nothing to do with coronavirus-19. Then in the Select Subcommittee on COVID, I asked Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who is from the Stanford School of Medicine, if the sequences were deleted and we didn't get the reports from China, how would the NIH director know for sure that the funding that we gave to the Wuhan lab wasn't for coronavirus. And he said, there is no way that the director could know that. Mm -hmm. So either one of two is true. Either the NIH director knows what's in the sequence before it was deleted, and it had nothing to do with coronavirus, as he claims, or it possibly definitely could have been the coronavirus, and he's covering mm -hmm. it up. And I don't know which one is true. A bipartisan group of lawmakers are advancing legislation to restrict or ban apps such as TikTok from a collection of adversarial nations like China. However, some tech experts are wondering why the Biden White House has dragged its feet when it comes to addressing concerns about data collection and spying on apps like TikTok. TikTok uh, earlier. Um, I'm just curious now, why did the administration then wait so long uh, to ban TikTok in all federal employees? 29 states have already done it, and the president, uh, his first month in office, canceled a investigation by the Commerce Department into TikTok. So why did they wait so long? So I'm not going to speak to uh, any investigation. Look, the process is happening now. 
Uh, that's what we're seeing. Uh, what I can say is that the president has very been very clear about his concerns uh, with apps like TikTok. Uh, and I just laid out the CDC reporting and how it's affecting our children uh, and the importance of making sure that uh, uh, we deal with this in a real way, which is why he put forth his unity agenda and laying out ways that we can deal with an issue that is affecting uh, the emotional growth and, uh, and also uh, of our children. And so, look, the unity agenda kind of lays out how the president wants to move forward. I'm not going to go beyond that. Yahoo Finance tech editor Dan Howley explains the arguments for and against the TikTok ban. We have First Amendment rights in the U.S. Uh, China, not so much. So uh, because of that, uh, banning an app like TikTok, the argument goes, uh, especially from organizations like the ACLU, is that you would be infringing on the First Amendment rights of millions of Americans who already use the app as a place for free expression. And so that's part of the, the discussion there. There's also uh, the fact that the company has a right to operate uh, as it does. Now, the flip side, uh, when you look at China, where there are apps that are banned, you know, we're talking about the likes of Twitter or Facebook, uh, Google w- operated in the country for some time, uh, but pulled out. They weren't necessarily banned uh, when China tried to hack into their servers. Uh, you know, they're not available there because China's basically an author- authoritarian government uh, and they can pretty much say what they want, and it has to go for its citizens. Howley believes that with so much uncertainty with many social media apps, the government is simply being cautious. There's this constant back and forth, and I think the reality is that, you know, the government doesn't necessarily know uh, that they're for certain that nothing is going on uh, as far as nefarious actions with regards to TikTok. And so they're being overly cautious here. Uh, I think there's a broader conversation that could be had about consumer privacy, though. Howley goes on to suggest that Americans should concern themselves more with data privacy, as China already uses apps like Twitter to disseminate propaganda. There's certain tech companies out there that don't want that kind of legislation, or they'll say they want that legislation. I'm talking about Meta, really. But they want to have their hand in crafting it so that it doesn't impact them negatively. And I think that's the real uh, crux of the argument that we should be having is where does our own data privacy end up? Not is it a China problem? Uh, Are we, uh, you know, worried that it's spreading propaganda? Look, they can spread propaganda on Twitter. They do that already. They're they're. uh, a foreign minister says stuff that's wild all the time. So it's not as though TikTok is the only place that this could possibly happen. By the way, data on Facebook and Twitter can be used against people by China because it's publicly available. The White House and President Biden are sure to face more questions in the days ahead about whether the administration will seek to ban TikTok or require it to make changes or find new ownership to remain active in the U.S. On Monday, HSBC, the banking giant, announced a deal to buy the U.K. subsidiary of Silicon Valley Bank, which collapsed last Friday. 
HSBC acquires Silicon Valley Bank UK. So instead of uh, going to one of the other startup options in the UK financial uh, tech landscape, we see this going to the uh, one of the much bigger established players. So HSBC acquire Silicon Valley Bank UK. This was after reports suggesting that others in the sector were also looking at making offers, smaller players uh, mainly. So interesting to see HSBC winning out here. The transi- transaction completes immediately. We hear from HSBC. Acquisition will be funded from existing resources. The acquisition will be funded, uh, yes, as I say, from existing resources. The UK government is also giving some lines here saying that uh, customer deposits are to be protected. So this echoing movement that we've had in the United States where they've uh, fully protected all depositors' money at SVB and Signature Bank, which was also closed, of course. Now the UK government saying that its customer uh, deposits will be protected. The UK government also, as the US has said, no taxpayer money involved in SVB UK. So interesting that both of those uh, governments needing to put that particular political line on things. And the UK saying that SVB UK customers are able to access their deposits and conduct their banking as normal. Now this deal with uh, HSBC has been done. According to British Finance Minister Jeremy Hunt, the deal makes sure that customer deposits are protected with no taxpayer support. Meanwhile, U.S. regulators approve plans to backstop depositors and financial institutions linked with U.S. parent company SVB. Larry McDonald, founder of the Bear Trap Report, says that the way Silicon Valley Bank was run is scandalous. When you suppress the cost of capital for longer and longer and longer periods of time, you enable, you incentivize bad behavior. And... You know, as, as you know, I wrote the book on Lehman Brothers. It was a New York Times bestseller. And what I saw it's inside of Lehman and what we've just learned over the weekend as to what, the way this bank was managing itself, it's just it's blood-curdling, irresponsibility. And the Fed enabled it. And then when they juiced rates up higher, they essentially just blowing up these bad actors. McDonald explains how the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank could impact the average taxpayer. They're socializing the losses. So they suppress the cost of capital, they incentivize bad actors, and now they're socializing the losses. Because at the end of the day, the Fed is backstopping this, and essentially QT, which they promised us would be $90 billion a month, essentially is over. Because this is the Federal Reserve using its balance sheet to socialize the losses and provide liquidity to potentially lots of banks. There are a number of banks this morning that are down 50, 60 percent. So this has got a knock-on effect. They've basically used a Band-Aid, but it's it's clearly a risk to the taxpayer because at the end of the day, the, the taxpayer backs up the Federal Reserve. McDonald goes on to warn that, in his opinion, the failing of Silicon Valley Bank points to a coming deep recession. Your hard assets are going to be an incredible place to invest because the dollar's weakening globally as the U.S. is moving toward recession. This this uncertainty and these bank runs nearly guarantee a, a deep recession. And then the Fed, and then eventually the, the taxpayer is going to have to come up with more when they do a, a real uh, fiscal bailout. Right now we're in the uh, monetary bailout. The Bank of England confirmed that no other U.K. banks are directly or materially affected by these actions, adding that the wider British banking system remains safe, sound, and well-capitalized. An oil drilling plan for Alaska's North Slope 
finally gets the stamp of approval from the Biden administration. We get more on this energy development from Daybreak Insider Jennifer King. Environmentalists are expressing disappointment with President Biden's decision to greenlight Alaska's North Slope Willow Development Project. Sources say the plan would allow three drill sites for about 219 wells in total. Oil company ConocoPhillips says it could produce up to 180,000 barrels of oil a day and 300 long-term jobs. The Stop Willow campaign had been gaining traction on social media, gathering more than 300 million views on TikTok. But the development enjoys widespread support in the state. And on March 3rd, while some indigenous Alaskans were protesting outside the White House, the state's congressional delegation met with Biden to argue in favor of the project. Separately, the White House announced that nearly 3 million acres of the Beaufort Sea would be closed off from oil exploration, and drilling would be limited to protect wildlife in more than 13 million acres in the National Petroleum Reserve. I'm Jennifer King. And finally, time to brush off your brackets as March Madness kicks off. Our insider Xavier Walton breaks down the teams to keep an eye on. Let's get to the rest of the 68 teams that are going to be competing here in the men's NCAA basketball tournament. 32 teams received an automatic bid uh, after, you know, winning their conference championship. Uh, But the four number one seeds, Alabama, Purdue, Houston, and Kansas. And according to Vegas, the Houston Cougars, who are ranked number one in the nation, uh, have the best odds of winning it all. In Houston, since that's where the national championship is, keep in mind, Marcus Sasser, one of their best players, was hurt. Didn't even play in the conference championship. So 32 teams received automatic bids after winning their conference championship. 36 teams received an at-large bid. You know, traditionally, you know, March Madness was 64 teams. Now there's a playing round, so it means more basketball for us, Mitch. Uh, the first four playing games were actually Tuesday and Wednesday. Walton highlights which teams he believes may have that Cinderella run. And, of course, each year there is a Cinderella story, a team that just makes a deep, magical run of the tournament. Uh, St. Peter's, that was the Peacocks last year, this year. Uh, some of the college experts have their eyes on the 12 seed Charleston Cougars. There's the, the 13 seeded I- Iona Gales or the Kent State Golden Flashes. Another 13 seed. Now to the fun part, filling out the brackets. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. There has never been in the history of all of this a perfect bracket. And Mitch, as I send it back to you, I think the odds of actually filling out a perfect bracket, I think I'm right on this, are one in about 9.2 quintillion. That's a lot of zeros, and you have a better chance of probably winning the lottery. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at daybreakinsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott.